in the fall of 2012, God greatly blessed my wife, Shar and I with a precious baby girl. We named her Scarlet. You can see a picture of her up there on the screen. And I know I am biased, but she's beautiful. I'm just saying. And the other day I was talking with someone and they asked me, Travis, you've, you've had this beautiful baby girl for nine months. At this point, what is your favorite part about being a dad? And I had to kind of think about that for a few minutes. And I know I have a long way to go. We're just nine months into it. But as I kind of thought about that question, here, here's what I think my answer is. My favorite part about being a dad so far is watching Scarlett grow and mature. I mean, a lot has happened in the past nine months. I've watched her go from just being able to lay in one spot to now she can roll over. I've watched her go from just eating milk to now she's actually eating some solid food. I've watched her go from sitting up propped up against the couch to now she can sit up on her own. Uh, She's starting to take steps like she's understanding how to walk. Last night for the first time, I got to hear her say, Dada, that was awesome. And it's been so cool to me to watch her grow and mature over the past nine months. Now, I know as we think about a small baby, it's very easy to recognize what maturity looks like. But I want to ask you a question tonight as we prepare to look at the book of Colossians. We all know what physical maturity looks like. But what are some indicators that show us a person is maturing spiritually? What does spiritual maturity look like? What comes to mind for you? You may attach that to someone understanding how to spend time with God. That's a part of spiritual maturity. Someone joining a small group or begin to come to a worship service like this. It may be related to memorizing scripture or going on a mission opportunity. I don't know what comes to mind for you when you think about what is present in someone's life when they are progressing in maturity as a Jesus follower. But as the Apostle Paul lands the plane on the book of Colossians, and he finishes up this letter to these believers at the church at Colossae, he decides to finish this book by giving them some marks of maturity. Some things that will be happening in the life of believers if they are growing spiritually as God's child. And last week, Pastor Vance kicked off this series and did a great job unpacking the first mark of maturity. And I want to put it on the screen just by way of reminder as we begin tonight. Here's the first mark of maturity. A desperate pursuit of God in prayer. I want us to read that out loud tonight as we begin. One, two, three. A desperate pursuit of God in prayer. That was our first mark of maturity last week. And if you weren't able to be here, I'd encourage you to go on iTunes or go on our website at hopechurchonline.com and catch up because it was a very significant kickoff to this series. 
Well, tonight we're going to look at another mark of maturity. So if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to look at two verses tonight, verses 5 and 6. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put these two verses on the screen for you so that you can follow along with us as we read. Here's what the Bible says in Colossians 4, starting in verse 5. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Here's the mark of maturity that we're going to look at tonight. A passion for living on mission with God daily. I want us to read that out loud tonight. One, two, three. A passion for living on mission with God daily. That's another mark of maturity. If someone is growing in their relationship with God, this is going to be on the radar. A growing passion, a growing urgency to engage in the mission. Now before we unpack our text, there's a couple of just foundational principles I want to share with you so that we're all on the same page as we talk about and think about living on mission with God. Here's the first kind of foundational principle I want us to understand. First of all, God is working all over the world. The God we've been singing to and praying to and that we gather to worship, he is working, he is active all over the world. Jesus promised us that his gospel would be proclaimed globally to all the nations. He says that one day around the throne of Jesus, people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will be gathered at the throne. A couple verses that really speak to this are in the gospel of Matthew. One is found in Matthew chapter 24. Here's what the Bible says. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. Also in the gospel of Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Here's what just these two verses give us tonight. They give us clarity about the certainty of the activity of God. They affirm for us that God is active, showing us that the great commission that he gave us in Matthew 28, that he's serious about that. And even at this moment, he still longs to see it accomplished. God is on a global mission. And if that's true, that God is active around the world, here's what that means practically for you and I. If God's at work all over the world, that means he's at work in your neighborhood. You may have lived in your neighborhood for 20 years or for two days, but God's active in your neighborhood. That means God is active at your job or at your school. You may not like where you work or where you go to school, but I want you to know if God's active around the world, that means God is working at your job and at your school. 
God is active. He's working in the city of Las Vegas. Every week in our city, there are people who are coming to know Jesus. There are people who are being discipled and transformed by the word of God. Churches that are being started. Great churches around our city that are proclaiming the gospel. I believe God is active in the city of Las Vegas. God's at work in our state. I talk to leaders all the time. And I hear this phrase a lot. Travis, you're not going to believe what God is doing in my part of the state. God's active in the state of Nevada. I believe if God's working around the world, that means he's working in our country. He's active in the United States of America. Let me give you a really clear example of that. On February the 27th of this year and May the 15th of this year, I got to participate in the same event at two different places. Right here in this, at this campus on February the 27th, we hosted the International Mission Board's commissioning service. The International Mission Board is the missions agency of the Southern Baptist Convention that we're a part of. And we hosted a commissioning service here at our church. And from this very stage, we got to watch 70 missionaries be commissioned to leave this country to go to another country for the sake of the gospel. That's pretty powerful. And then on May the 15th, I was in North Arkansas and I got to attend another International Mission Board commissioning service. And I got to see another 60 missionaries stand before a congregation and be commissioned to leave this country in order to go to another country for the sake of the gospel. Who did that? God did that. That's the activity of God right here in the United States of America. And then I also believe, we've said it already, God's at work around the world in some major ways. I believe God's at work in the Middle East. He's at work among the Wadi people, the unreached people group that we've adopted and said, we're going to take the gospel there over the next 25 or 50 years. God's at work among the Wadi. God's at work in South Africa, in Zambia. God's at work in Southeast Asia. He's at work in South and Central America. God is at work among the nations, expanding his kingdom even at this moment. God is working all over the world. That's the first foundation I want us all to understand as we think about living on mission with God. That God's doing the work. He's active. But here's the second foundational principle I want us to really understand tonight. God has invited us to join in his activity. God's doing the work. He's active. He is working. And he has ever so graciously invited us to join him. It's powerful. As we look at the overall counsel of scripture, here's what we see. That for anyone who would come to God in repentance and put their faith in the finished work and life of Jesus, he will give us a relationship with him and eternal life. And for those who have been rescued by the gospel, he gives us the privilege of first and foremost enjoying a relationship with him, of walking in intimacy with our heavenly father. And out of that relationship, our lives spill into a life on mission where we are witnesses of the saving power of God where we live, where we work, and where we play. 
Let me read for you a couple of verses of scripture. And I want you to listen for what the Bible says about us as the people of God. In 2 Corinthians 5, the Bible says, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, looking at his disciples, he said, you are the light of the world. He said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. We've been called to enjoy a relationship with God. And as we walk with him, we're to be on the lookout for his activity that we may join him and be ambassadors and lights for his namesake. God desires for us to live on mission, to join in what he is doing. We've been called into the family of God to share in the mission of God. And I believe that a person who is maturing in their relationship with God will recognize the opportunity to join in God's activity and he will bestow on us a passion to share in the mission. The second mark of maturity is a passion for living on mission with God daily. This week as I was studying to teach, I came across a statement that John Piper made. And it's a pretty heavy statement. It's pretty challenging. And I want to read it for us. And then we're going to unpack this text from Colossians chapter 4. Here's what John Piper wrote. If we as a church are disobedient, it is not ultimately the cause of God and the cause of world missions that we'll lose. We will lose. God's counsel will stand and he will accomplish all his purpose. His triumph is never in question. Only our participation in it or our incalculable loss. We can be drunk with private concerns and indifferent to the great enterprise of world evangelization. But God will simply pass over us and do his great work while we shrivel up in our little land of comfort. I believe as we walk with Jesus, we will have a passion to live on mission with him. So here's the question we're going to try to answer tonight. What does it look like practically to be on mission with God? I mean, that's inspiring and it's encouraging to think about God being at work all over the world and his invitation for us to join him. But what does that look like practically on a daily basis for you and for me? Well, I believe in this text, Paul gives us three key words that can clarify for us what it looks like practically to do just that. Here's the first key word. It's the word live. The first area we need to think about to practically be on mission with God is, is the way that we live. And here's what we're saying in this key word. The way I live my life every day is a big deal. The way that you and I function on a daily basis, it's a really big deal as it relates to the mission. 
Paul begins this section of scripture with the word conduct. The word conduct is a really simple word. It means to walk about. It means to live one's life. And he's telling these believers there in Colossae that you can't just approach life normally. You can't approach life in a way that comes natural to you. No, you need to approach life differently in light of the mission of Jesus. He says, conduct yourselves, live your life. And then he gives a word that is to shape the way that we live. He says wisdom. Conduct yourselves with wisdom. The word wisdom means wise management. As shown in forming the best plans and selecting the best methods. The word wisdom is the picture of us approaching all circumstances in our lives. Evaluating them and then making godly decisions about what to do. That's the picture of wisdom. In the book of Colossians, two times Paul references this word wisdom. The first time is in chapter 1. And he tells these believers that he is praying for them that they would have spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then here in Colossians 4, he's instructing them to live wisely. So in essence, in chapter 1, he's saying, I'm praying that you would have wisdom. In chapter 4, he's instructing them to apply it. John MacArthur said this about wisdom. He said, it refers to the ability to collect and concisely organize principles from Scripture and the application of those principles to everyday life. And here's what's important for us to understand. The wisdom that Paul's talking about, it's not natural. It's not something that we can produce on our own. It is wisdom that can only be given to us by God as we walk with him. And this word is extremely significant to understand in this passage. And we could list a lot of reasons why conducting our lives with wisdom is so important. But very quickly, I want to give you two reasons why conducting our lives with wisdom should be a priority for us. Here's the first reason. Wisdom reveals that I am to relate to others in Christ-like humility. You see, when I pursue wisdom and God bestows it on me, here's what it reveals in my life. That every person I interact with, I'm to relate to them with a Christ-like humility. I don't know about you, but apart from wisdom, here's what I do most times. I get very arrogant and I get very selfish. You see, I begin to think that because I have a relationship with God, or because I have biblical knowledge, or for other reasons, that for some reason I'm superior to everyone else who does not. But wisdom anchors me in the understanding that I'm to relate to other people with Christ-like humility. The most defining characteristic of Jesus when he was on the earth was humility. And so as his life is pressed out, as it's manifested through our lives, it's going to be a life consumed with humility. I love the way that in John chapter 1, they referred to Jesus. They said Jesus was someone full of grace and truth. What a challenge for us as the people of God. That we would be people full of grace and full of truth. 
And when I pursue wisdom, one of the things that wisdom reveals to me is that I'm to relate to other people with a Christ-like humility. But here's a second reason that wisdom is a big deal. Wisdom reveals that I am to live with integrity. Wisdom reveals to us that we are to live our lives with integrity. You see, apart from wisdom, it is very easy for us to put on a mask and to come into an environment like this and act one way and then depart from a place like this and act a totally different way. The word integrity is the idea of oneness. It's the idea of sameness. And when God bestows wisdom on my life, here's what I realize. I realize that who I am in here needs to match who I am everywhere else. Because as believers, when we act totally different depending on the environment we're in, here's what we're doing. We're distorting the gospel. Like it or not, people will gauge what Jesus is like based on what they observe from his body, his church. That's the reality. And wisdom anchors us into understanding that we are to be men and women of integrity. He says, conduct yourselves with wisdom. And then he specifies a group. He says, toward outsiders. And that simply means those who are outside of the community of faith. Those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Do you realize that 95% of our city has no relationship with God. They have no hope in the gospel. Here's what that means. When you are living your life in this community, 95% of the people who you interact with would be classified as outsiders, people who are outside of the Christian faith. So here's what that means. Every moment of my life is an opportunity for God to share his story through the way that I live. I want to ask you a question so that tonight we can kind of evaluate how we're doing as it relates to this principle. Is my life a living demonstration of the difference Jesus makes? You don't have to answer out loud, but as you just process the way you're living your life. Is your life a testimony of the difference Jesus makes? Because Paul is challenging us here to live with wisdom, to evaluate the circumstances we're walking in and make godly decisions as we relate to people who are outside of the Christian faith. First word tonight, live the way I live my life every day is a big deal. Here's the second key word. Look. Look. Here's what we're saying with this word. What's happening around me is a big deal. With live, we're predominantly thinking about our lifestyle, the way that we go about living our lives. With look... Here's what we need to process. Are we being intentional as we go through life to look for opportunities to serve other people? 
Are we aware of the opportunities that are around us? Look at the phrase he uses in the next part of verse 5. He says, making the most of every opportunity. This phrase, making the most, actually is rooted in the idea of purchasing something. It literally means to buy at the market. And it means to buy up all that is anywhere to be bought. So, so what's Paul saying here? Here's what he's saying. He's saying all around you, there are hundreds of opportunities to serve people. In the conversations that you have, in the circumstances you're in, and in the environments that you're frequently a part of, there are hundreds of opportunities. And he's challenging us to leverage all of those opportunities for the sake of the gospel. But we'll never leverage them if we're not looking for them. That's why we need to understand tonight that what's happening around us is a big deal because all of those are God-given opportunities that he has allowed us to be exposed to that we may buy them up, that we may leverage them for the sake of the gospel. I want you to listen to a verse from Philippians chapter 2, and I want you to listen to how it speaks to us as the people of God. Paul said, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights, in the world. Paul says that as the people of God, we are lights in the midst of a dark generation. There are opportunities all around us as we interact with people who are outside the Christian faith. And we are to be on the lookout, ready and intentional to serve people that we may buy up those opportunities for the sake of the gospel. William Barclay said this, the Christian must of necessity be a missionary. It is not by his words, but by his life that he will attract people to or repel them from Christianity. On the Christian, there is laid the great responsibility not of simply talking about Christ, but of showing men Christ, not just in words, but in life. You've probably heard the old cliche. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that cliche may be old, but it is absolutely true in 2013. Let me ask you a question to kind of evaluate how you're doing in this area. Am I looking for opportunities every day to serve others and share the gospel with them? Are you intentional about looking for where God is at work, the opportunities he's put before you, that you may buy them up, leverage them for the sake of the gospel? First word, live. The way I live my life every day is a big deal. Second word, look. What's happening around me is a big deal. Here's the third key word from this passage. Speak. 
speak. Here's, here's what we're talking about when we say that. What I say to others is a big deal. What comes out of my mouth as I speak to people is a really, really big deal. Look at verse 6. He says, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Rick Warren made this statement. Many parts of your life mission are unique, but there is one part of your life mission that we all have in common. It's this. God wants you to tell other people about what's happened to you. You see, the lifestyle component of this is awesome. And I believe we should live humbly with integrity before people. We should be looking for opportunities. But there are also going to be moments as we live on mission with God that he gives us that we are able to verbally share our story, that we are able to verbally communicate the living gospel of Jesus to other people. And Paul gives a couple of phrases here that should really shape what we speak The first thing he says here is he says that it should always be with grace as though seasoned with salt. Salt can do three things. It can preserve, it can sterilize, or it can season. And Paul says in these verses that your speech should be seasoned with salt, meaning it should be acceptable and inoffensive. That there's a way to communicate the gracious message of Jesus that's acceptable and inoffensive to other people. You could literally translate that part of the verse this way. Let your speech be always with the graciousness appropriate to Christians. The next thing he says in this verse is, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Every opportunity that God gives you to share the gospel, to speak the gospel, is probably going to be different. There's no cookie cutter model I can give you to say this is what you should do every single time. But as we walk with God, as we live on mission with him, I believe through wisdom he's going to show us what it looks like to speak the gospel in an appropriate and inoffensive way. I want to give you a, a really clear example of this. And in just a moment, I'm going to show you a video. There's a famous show in our city called uh, Penn and Teller. And one of the stars in that uh, show is Penn Gillette. Uh, he is a professing atheist. Uh, does not believe in God. Has written about it. He's done interviews about it. So don't get mad when you hear what he says. Because he's not a believer. He's an atheist. But this video, it's pretty raw because he just sat down in front of his laptop and, and recorded it. But he's responding to an interaction he had with a Christian. And that Christian spoke to him and shared some things with him. And I want, I want you to watch this video as an example of the right way to approach speaking to those who are outside of the Christian faith. So let's watch that video. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. 
And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show. And uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and... Um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. I mean, he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And, uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice insane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible and I've always said you know that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize I don't respect that at all if you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever and you think that uh, well it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward and atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God. 
and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. I don't know if there's ever going to be a day where Penn Jillette begins following Jesus. I pray that one day he would. But as I've watched that video multiple times today, it's just so powerful to me that he could have a conversation with a believer and walk away knowing that that believer genuinely loved him and cared about him and spoke to him in such a way that it was honoring to Jesus. Every moment of our lives, we are stewards of the gospel. We have, God's entrusted it to us. And I pray that video challenged you that as you have opportunities to speak the word to other people, that you will do so in a way that is gracious and that is seasoned with salt. And you will evaluate the context and the circumstance and that through the wisdom of God, you will know the right decision to make as you interact. You see, our lifestyle creates a platform from which God gives us opportunities to verbally communicate the message. And we are to do that with a sensitivity to what God is doing around us and in us. What we say to other people is a big deal. As I thought about these three key words and kind of how it applies to my life, um, this third one was very challenging. And I want to ask you just an evaluation question about this last one. Am I speaking the gospel to others in the opportunities God brings into my life? Are you someone, as God presents opportunities from the platform of your life, you have an opportunity to verbally share the gospel. Are you sharing the gospel in the opportunities that God gives you? Are you sharing your testimony? Are you sharing what God's doing in your heart? Are you sharing the gospel? And as I really thought about these three words this week, live, look, and speak, I thought about some obstacles that I face personally in applying these to my life. I want to give you a couple statements and then a challenge, and then we're going to have a time of response. I thought about a couple of obstacles that, at least in my life, that hinder me from living, looking, and speaking in the right way on an ongoing basis, from sharing in the mission, from being on mission with God. Here are two things that are just stumbling blocks for me, maybe for you. The first one is the obstacle of busyness. We all know what it is to be so consumed with our schedule, to be so consumed with our to-do list that we jump out of bed and we hit the day running full speed 
We do everything that we normally do with meetings and phone calls and appointments. We go to sleep at night and we wake up and do it again. There are weeks in my life that because of the obstacle of busyness, I don't think about the mission. And that's wrong. Maybe you can relate with that. Maybe you found yourself in a season of life that one of the reasons you're not living on mission with God is because you've allowed yourself to get too busy to even think about the mission. And you recognize tonight that that needs to change. So how do you overcome an obstacle like that? Well, I believe one of the ways is starting your day, whenever that is, depending on your schedule, that you start your day focused on Jesus and his mission. The first thing you think about is not your first appointment. It's not what time you have to be at work. It's not your to-do list. The first thing you wrap your heart around when your day begins is Jesus and his mission. And that's the priority that everything else revolves around, not your schedule, and you try to fit Jesus into it. That's one way for me that I've learned. If I do that, it increases my awareness of God's activity around me. But one obstacle I struggle with, and maybe you struggle with, is the obstacle of busyness. Here's one more that I struggle with. It's the obstacle of apathy. There are some days I'm just indifferent. I don't care. And that's sad. But I could tell you example after example in my life that because my heart is hardened almost to the things that are happening around me, I'm just indifferent. That's an obstacle for me in living on mission with God. Maybe you can relate with that. So how do, you, how do you overcome that obstacle? What do you do to get your heart in the right place so that you wake up in the morning longing to join in the mission and live on mission with God? Well, one of the ways I believe you can overcome this obstacle, that I can overcome this obstacle, is getting off of the sidelines, so to speak, and getting in the game as it relates to walking with people. I find myself when I'm walking, when I'm discipling other people, when I'm rubbing shoulders with real life needs that people have, my heart becomes so softened to the mission of God. You see, when something you hear about becomes someone you care about, it changes the way you live. When something you hear about, when something that you listen to in a sermon becomes a name and a face for you, it changes the way you live your life. I can talk to you about people on the other side of the world who are struggling right now for a, a lot of reasons, and you can blow it off. But I promise you, if you get on an airplane with me and we go to another continent and you rub shoulders with some of those people, it'll change the way you live. We can talk about people in our city who are hurting and who are desperate. But if I go and introduce you to some of those people, I promise it will change the way you live. When something you hear about becomes someone you care about, it changes the way that you live your life. Jesus looked on the multitudes and felt compassion. As you think about the multitudes of people in our city who are without a relationship with God, what do you feel? And if your answer is indifference, 
Let me challenge you tonight to get in the game as it relates to walking and serving people. Walking with and serving people. There's never been a situation when I've been walking with someone, good or bad, that it hasn't softened my heart just a little bit more as it relates to the mission of God because I realize that is someone that Jesus loves and he desires to use for his glory. So here's my challenge for you this week. As you wake up in the morning and you begin a new week, I want to challenge you. The first thing in your day, I want you to pray a simple prayer to God. And here's the prayer. God, show me an opportunity today to join in your activity. A simple prayer. You may need to put it on your nightstand, put it on your cell phone, put it in your car, put it on your dining room table. Every day this week when you wake up, may the first words out of your mouth be, God, show me an opportunity today to join in your activity. And just see what God does. There may be some people that as we've been talking tonight, you recognize you need to go to those people and share the gospel. You need to, in a way that is seasoned with salt, communicate your life change story and unpack the message of Jesus for them. I don't know how God's speaking to you, but I want to challenge you this week to look for opportunities to join in the activity of God. The second mark of maturity that we see here in Colossians chapter 4 is a passion to live on mission with God daily.